Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 14 of Words with Writers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Canadian Authors Association, Toronto Branch. We are a membership-based organization for writers in all levels, areas, and genres of the writing profession. We are your hosts, Chris Gorman and Brandy Tanner. Thank you for tuning in today. If you joined us last month for our double feature anniversary special, we're glad to have you back this month as we return to our regular programming. Today, we'll start with an overview of our Canadian Authors Toronto events, followed by some upcoming writing contests. And then we welcome our guests here to read from their work, chat with us about their writing, and help us celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month. That's right, Brandy. We are thrilled to have Canadian authors, Toronto members, Kevin Craig, Lucian Childs, and Michelle Doyle here with us today. You definitely want to stay tuned for their readings and discussions about their inspirations and the importance of having LGBTQ representation in literature. So let's get started. Great, thanks, Chris. On May 27th, Canadian Authors Toronto and Dark Helix Press held a joint event celebrating Asian Heritage Month and the book launch of The Leaf, an anthology compilation of rice paper magazine submissions by writers of Asian descent from across the world. Chris, you went to that one. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, for sure, Brandy. It was an amazing group of authors reading from work that really challenged the norms of Asian diaspora perspective. As you might have heard last month with the Stop Asian Hate campaign through social media, the Asian community is also going through a difficult time right now, both in the world and in many of the countries themselves. And I thought that the, the work the authors read from did a fantastic job of highlighting that. Awesome. I'm so glad we were able to team up with Dark Helix Press and put that event on. Absolutely. So you've all probably heard about our big June event by now, but Brandy, for those who haven't heard it yet, can you share with us the Giller Prize winning author that we'll be featuring? Oh, absolutely. I've been dying to. We already revealed this on last month's show, but on June 23rd, from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. via Zoom, Canadian Authors Toronto and Editors Toronto are joining forces to bring back our popular series showcasing award-winning authors in conversation with their exceptional editors. Reproduction, The Making of a Giller Winner, will feature Ian Williams, winner of the 2019 Scotiabank Giller Prize, and Anne Collins, his editor. So please join us for an illuminating conversation exploring the author-editor relationship from acquisition through to the submission of the final draft. Plus, I'm so excited about this, Ian will read from reproduction and offer a sneak peek of his upcoming nonfiction work, Disorientation, which will be coming out in September. This event will be moderated by Editors Toronto co-chair Catherine Dorton with Q&A to follow. It is free for members of Editors Toronto and Canadian Authors Toronto and $7 for all non-members. We hope to see you there. For sure. Uh, what an amazing night that's going to be. 
We do hope that you join us for this lively summer conversation that will close out our 2020 and 2021 season as we are taking a break for the summer and putting our events on hold until September. Not the podcast, though. Brandy and I will continue to bring you episodes through July and August. That's right, Chris. Our show must go on. <laughs> As always, stay tuned to our event calendar at CanadianAuthors.org slash Toronto slash events for details of past and upcoming events. Okay, that brings us to the writing contest. So I'll start with the Sir Peter Ustinov Television Script Writing Award. It is administered by the International Academy of Television Arts and Science Foundation and is designed to motivate non-American novice writers under the age of 30 and offer them the recognition and encouragement that might lead to a successful career in television script writing. Entrants are asked to create a completed half hour to one hour English language television drama script by the deadline of June 30th. There is no entry fee and you have the chance of winning $2,500 US, a trip to New York City, and an invitation to the International Emmy Awards Gala in November. That sounds like an amazing opportunity for all of our scriptwriters out there. I've never been a scriptwriter before, but that makes me really want to be one now. I was going to say, I want to be one. <laughs> <laughs> so for our poetry writing listeners, the Ontario Poetry Society's The Ultra Short Poetry Competition 2021 contest is open until June 30th, coming right up to Canadian and permanent residents of Canada. The entry fee is $10 for up to five poems and $2 for each additional poem. Poems are to be no longer than eight lines and no more than eight words on a line. All winning poems receive publication in a chapbook anthology and one free copy of the chapbook. And you could also win first prize of $100, second prize of $75, third prize of $50, or fourth prize of $25 or one of the 36 Judges' Choice Awards. And one last contest we will mention is the North Street Book Prize for self-published books in a variety of genres. Enter by June 30th with the entry fee of $65 per book to win one of many great prizes, including the grand prize of $5,000. The length limit is 200,000 words, and you may submit a collection of short stories or essays as a single entry. There's also no age restrictions or country or year of publication. That one sounds like one that I might be able to do, Brandy. That's exactly what I was thinking when I saw that contest. Actually, I thought, yeah, well, our very own Chris is self-published, so I expect you to submit to that one. I and shall. I'm on the list of winners as well, right at the top, first prize. You can take me with your $100. <laughs> and as always, you can see complete details of all these contests and more at CanadianAuthors.org slash national slash links slash awards dash competitions. Now, Words with Writers podcast also has our own fun contests happening every few days until the end of June through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just keep an eye on our social media, and when you see the post announcing the current draw, like, 
share, and follow us to enter your name in the random draw for that day's signed book from one of our previous guests. We've had a lot of traction. We've given away two books already. We have our third announcement coming up later today. So keep an eye out and see if you've won a signed book. Well, thus concludes the event and contest portion of our show. So get cozy, get comfy, get ready for this month's fascinating guests. Before we begin with our special guests, I do have to apologize because my internet cut out in the middle of one of our interviews. I was disconnected for about five minutes, and when I finally got back in, even though I hadn't changed my audio setup, my voice is much more garbled than it was. I was originally going to edit out all evidence of this internet glitch, but after listening, I decided to keep a small bit. Also, in that segment, there is some talk of a glass of gin, and I should probably clarify that it was not our guest that had the gin, and also that in no way was it responsible for my internet glitch. Enjoy the show! Let's give a big warm welcome to our first guest, Kevin Craig. Kevin is the author of contemporary young adult fiction, Summer on Fire, Burn Baby, Burn Baby, Half Dead and Fully Broken, Pride Must Be a Place, and The Camino Club, and contemporary adult fiction with young narrators, Sebastian's Poet and The Reasons. Kevin is a five-time winner of the Muskoka Novel Marathon's Best Novel Award, as well as a playwright who has had 12 plays staged. Their short stories appear in several anthologies and journals. They have had poetry published in multiple media, and their memoir writing has appeared in the Globe and Mail and has also been recorded for CBC Radio Canada. Kevin lives in Toronto, Ontario. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> yeah, we're pleased. We're so pleased to have you here. And we can't wait to give our listeners a window into who you are as an author. But first, we'd love if you would go right ahead with your reading. Uh, so can you tell us what you're sharing with us today? Sure. I'm going to read from the Camino Club. And I'm going to read a part in the narrator, Troy. He's the gay narrator. There's three narrators in the novel. They just arrive at the top of a great big hill and they get to a restaurant and he sees a boy that he met earlier in the day and has kind of a crush on him. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll start. Off to the side are a few shelves filled with peregrino souvenirs. I see the boy pretending to be fully fascinated with some scallop shell trinkets. It's a ruse. They're the same shells we see at every single stop. He's so cute, shorter than me, with perfectly coiffed jet black hair. His eyes are so brown they look black. They were the first thing I noticed about him at the fountain. This is the part I'm terrible at. I hope he's better at it than I am. 
He already said hi back at the fountain, so maybe. I make my way over to the shelf and pick up a small leather purse with a yellow shell embroidered across the front. I'm opening it and looking at the pockets inside when he finally makes his move. It's so cute, right? He says, perfect English. I stare into his face and notice that he has a tiny diamond earring in his nose, hot. But what's inside is what really matters. He smiles again and he's so adorable. I know function over fashion, right? I feel like a dweeb. I consider running out until he agrees with me. Wouldn't have it any other way, he says. My shoulders relax and I unclench my teeth. I hadn't even realized I was clenching them. I put the purse back on the shelf. Not enough compartments. Can't have everything loosey-goosey in the bottom. It's a cute purse. I would never use it. Kai, Kai Amano. He offers his hand and I take it. It's small in mine, soft. Troy, Troy Sinclair, Trumpton. Oh, New York State here, he says. Those two talkers out there are my older sisters. I'm on the nonstop talking Camino tour, looking to be rescued. He's so totally coming on to me, he doesn't even try to hide it. Oh, I almost scream. Sudden realization excitement, soon. Happy 4th of July. Huh, yeah, thanks. No fireworks for me, I guess. Well, maybe there's probably a ton of Americans walking the Camino right now. Maybe somebody will set them off. Maybe. His smile is incredible. And I love the stud in his nose. It picked a perfect nose to be a part of, too. Am I pathetic? Who cares? He's a cutie. Let's go outside. After I say it, I pray for an empty table on the patio so we can sit alone. We can go get your coffee and find somewhere to sit away from all the chatter. He pretends to wipe sweat from his forehead. Oof, thanks, Troy. You're saving my life. I laugh because he's cute and because I know that's not really what's happening here. He made his pass and I've accepted. This has nothing to do with him escaping his sisters. 10 minutes later, he knows my dog's name. And I know wagon wheels are his favorite food, raspberry wagon wheels, not the originals because they're just sad and pathetic raspberry wheel wannabes. He's 17, the same as me. His mom is from Japan and his father is from Montana, third generation American. And my parents are from Toronto and so are their parents. Basically, the more he talks, the more this dummy has fallen for him. Like it could ever happen. In my head, I'm trying not to calculate the distance between New York State and Toronto while simultaneously imagining the flower patterns of a China. Kai's sisters, thought the Camino would be a great experience for him. They walked it with their mother during the summer before their last year in high school, back when their mother was still healthy enough to make the trip. His mother died last year just before Christmas, cancer. They couldn't convince their father to shut down his dental practice long enough to come with them, even though he hadn't had a holiday. I know so much more about him than he knows about me. The focus is just about to switch over to me when Megan interrupts us. I see her shadow loom over us before I see her. Sorry, Troy, she says, but it's time to go. Her words pull me out of the security of the little world Kai and I have made for ourselves at this table. Oh yeah, I say, sounding just as startled as I feel. Sorry, this is Kai, Kai, Megan. 
I look where the others are sitting, and every single one of them is staring back at me with a great big stupid grin on their face. I feel the heat rise into my cheeks once again, but I don't care. Hi, Kai, Megan says. Sorry, but we have to steal Troy away. Time for us to make our way to Osobrero. Nice to meet you, Megan. He stands and extends a hand. Megan shakes it. What refugio are you staying at, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all, she says. Kai and I look at each other like Megan's about to call the numbers of the million dollar lottery and we're eagerly holding our tickets. But seriously, what are the chances? Albergue de Osobrero. Oh my God, he says, and I can almost see him waving his winning ticket in the air. That's where my sisters and I are staying. We'll see you there. I do my best not to jump up and down when I get to my feet. The two of us just beam at each other. Awesome, see you there. Nice to meet you, Kai. Megan walks away, turning to wave before she reaches the table where everyone is still ogling us like crazy people. I'll see you later then, I say to Kai. I can't keep the excitement out of my voice. But I don't want to. Sure, Troy. It was really nice to meet you. We do a little one-shoulder hug, and he speaks into my ear. I can't wait. Me too. Later. I turn to walk away. As I do, they're all bowing to my awesomeness, and I seriously consider dropping dead of embarrassment. But if I did that, I wouldn't see Kai later tonight at the refugio. That was amazing. Now I really want to know if they get together. But I know. <laughs> You're just going to have to read the book, Brandy. <laughs> I am almost halfway through reading the Camino Club. I have not yet made it to the restaurant at the top. So now I have something to look forward to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have to say I'm, I am loving it. And also <laughs> raspberry wheels are definitely the best. <laughs> oh, my that part they're the raspberry wannabes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh so kevin maybe can you tell us a little bit about yourself um and what made you want to become a writer sure i actually don't remember a time i didn't read as a kid i even wrote poetry um, after that i kind of fell in love with dialogue and that's what directed me to plays and th through plays I started to do short stories as well but I've basically always been writing. Now do you have a you said you write shorter fiction poetry do you have a favorite type of writing you like to do or you like them all fully? It's so hard I absolutely love writing plays the plays I write I have written full plays, but the plays I write to be produced are 10 minute plays. And I write it the night before I actually see them produced on stage. So to see your work come to life that quickly is such a rush, I love it. Oh yeah, that would, that's, yeah. that would be quite a rush. So I'm gonna ask you a question that I'm sure you've been asked before. We ask a lot of our guests this. But we're always curious how you get your ideas for your fiction and what are some of your sources of inspiration? When I'm writing YA, I deal with the issues that I myself faced as a teen. So that is the issues, the ideas. I like to put my characters into hard to get out of corners and figure a way 
to help them get out of it. So I just think up scenarios and try to work from there. That's, uh, I, I find that when I'm reading the Camino Club right now and connecting with Troy, some of the, the things he's been going through, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that sounds very familiar from when I was younger and listening to friends chat and joke and especially mm -hmm. before I, I came out to them and they didn't know, right? Right, yeah. Two different sides, but. Also, I wanted to, to touch on the Camino itself because it was kind of interesting. When I first met my partner, we were laying in bed one morning and he looked over and he's like, would you do a 30 day walk with me? And yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was sitting there like, uh, yes. And then <laughs> most important thing I ever said right there, but his, you know, his eyes popped open and he's like, really? And then, <laughs> so when did you go? We have not gone yet. <laughs> it was planned. We were going to do it last year and then everything okay. kind of fell apart. Oh, you're so. kidding. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll pick it up again and do it but yeah I, I think once you do it you might find yourself addicted to, to yeah. all the have, it, have you stuff. done it yeah i've done it twice now. oh wow. twice yeah. wow yeah. yeah i did it once in 2014 by myself and a group of friends and then me and my partner went back in 2019 and did it together after awesome. he read the communal club the first thing he said was we have to go back <laughs> yeah i know i'm i as i'm reading it that's what i'm i'm thinking i'm like oh i want to go so much um but yeah I we have, have if you're both more adventurous than me chris told me the story he just told about him and his partner right before yeah. we met seven and my first thought was someone in my bed says a 30-day <laughs> no get out <laughs> <laughs> but you guys do make it sound you both nice sound. nice knowing you for the night yeah. <laughs> now, but yes no <laughs> you both make it sound very interesting you never know maybe one day yeah you should we'll all, we'll all do it together Brent. yeah <laughs> uh so kevin today's show is a celebration of pride month and we just wanted to know if you could explain a little bit about or talk about a little bit of the importance to you about having lgbtq representation in your work for me i think it's almost life or death to have representation on the page for when you're a teen um i became a teenager in 1979 and i can guarantee you there's nothing for me to read where i could see myself in the bathhouse raids in Toronto were in 1981. So things started to change after then, but I had no representation. So you feel alone. You feel that all the bad things, the negative things that people are saying about you is true. You have nothing, you have no goodness to look for. And today there's so much representation in YA fiction and kids can pick that up and see themselves in it be comforting yeah i i love that um it's something that i try to do in in my writing as well is uh not not focus on it but just have you know there's a there's a gay character there it's it's normal right mm -hmm. because 
everybody wants to see themselves represented in fiction and or in in life so yeah on that subject actually um i read the marrow thieves by sherry dimeline uh, probably a couple years ago and i enjoyed that a lot because it uh, I don't know if you've read it, but it's a dystopian novel and two of the characters, it's not a main point of the story or anything, but two of the characters appear and, and they're uh, two gay men and it's just part of the story and it's not pointed out as anything, you know, unusual or, or even special. It's just their characters and they happen to be gay. That's just who they are, right? And I thought she did that really well. And I think, Kevin, you're absolutely right especially, I mean, adults too, but especially for younger people, right? Growing up and seeing themselves reflected. Yeah, yeah that's something that's really been, so. And it's important to normalize it too, to just have gay characters just because, because it doesn't always have to be issues and it doesn't always have to be traumatic or bad experiences that gay characters are facing to get through. It could be just casual, the characters happen to be gay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Regular life because we yeah. all have to get through this crazy world. Right? Exactly. So. Yeah. I, I love in it, in your book too, I love that you kind of tackle very smoothly, I think, too, some, some really pressing um, learning, I guess, that everybody needs to do and, and acknowledge. Um, which is something we, we just took a course on it at work, actually. But do you mind if I if I read a, a really like three sentence from your book? That, sure, go ahead. That struck me when I was yeah. reading it. Um, Diego tells me this cockamimi story about Troy's underwear and the boys teasing him about it flapping out their bathroom window. I swear to you, Shania, we were totally only joking around about his underwear. He's too sensitive. It's stupid that he... No, I interrupt. You don't get to decide that. You're not the gay one here. And I just, I think that is really amazing. I, I loved reading that. Mm -hmm. so, because it is, it's something that, you know, everybody kind of tries to to make themselves feel better by. Yeah. And they kind of skirt the issue, skirt the apology, try to get out of it. Yeah, that was, about, that was basically what that scene was about, owning what, what they've done. And that even though it uh, it might seem to you like you're just joking, it's how the other person perceives it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. It's about that person, not about you, right? We all have a tendency to make it about ourselves and mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of forget yeah. how someone else is going to perceive something. Unrelated, uh, do you have an audiobook version? Not yet. Interlude Press just announced this week that they're going audio with How to Be Remy Cameron. That's their very first audio book. So we'll see other titles released in audio. Well, if you need a narrator, I think you've got <laughs> Chris there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was well, well read, wasn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> always here on the show. You know, he's got a, a great broadcasting voice, right? He's yes. got a great podcast. Yes. So, <laughs> I'm sure. Now I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah. The thing to do on this show is make him blush. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs>
So on a bit of a different topic, since, you know, you, you do have, I mean, such a resume, a five-time winner of the Muskoka Novel Marathon Best Novel Award, and, and you know, you've done so many things. Um, could you tell us uh, something about some of the marketing techniques that you've used? And are there any that you've maybe had the most success with? <laughs> this is where I'm going to fall short. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't market at all. I just <laughs> With Camino Club, it's the first bigger publisher that I've had, and they've really held my hand through everything and done most of the marketing themselves. And they've put review copies in the hands of Kirkus School Library Journal. And when it gets reviews in places like that, it kind of snowballs from there. So... I believe the School Library Journal one's probably responsible for it being in over 500 libraries in North America. So that had nothing to do with me. I just say yes to everything. I don't turn anything down. Interviews, Zooms, wherever I can get myself into. And Camino related, there is really a huge following of the Camino. It's worldwide and people are kind of addicted to it. So like myself, I read every communal book I can get my hands on. So I've interacted with a lot of communal groups and did a lot of marketing through there and had a lot of readers that are actually communal programs. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome too to hear that it's inside libraries, for like school libraries. Yeah, yeah. They've been very successful at getting that. Yeah. Wanted to ask too on your your playwright side because you're now the the second playwright that we've had on the show. Uh, the first one was our last our last episode, so that's exciting. But uh, how did you get into writing like ten minute plays that are, are you write them the night before? Okay, so in Whitby there's a castle. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Trafalgar Castle. <laughs> it's a girls' school, but when they have their winter break they open it up to Driftwood Theater and they have a 24 hour play festival. And they lock the six playwrights into the castle overnight, each in their own little room. And we have to write the play in eight hours in the room and it has to take place in the room that we stay in. And we leave in the morning and the directors and the actors come in and rehearse all day long and the following evening there's gala performances and a, an audience moves throughout the castle going to all six of the plays. That's and amazing. I actually just sent an email begging them to let me do it. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be a playwright after I read Somerset Mons is summing up. I realized you could be a playwright and a novelist at the same time because that's what he does. So I jumped in and I asked if, what, if I can do it, and they said yes, and that was the beginning. That's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go to something like that. That is so, so much adrenaline. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And that I think I've actually, sorry, Brandy. You go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I think I've actually seen a play at Driftwood Theater, but I don't, um, I don't, I've never gone to that one. So. Yeah, they do Shakespeare in the park all summer long. I think they have a bus and job around to small towns in Ontario. 
yeah, I did Shakespeare in the Park. I didn't do Shakespeare in the Park, but I I watched a Shakespeare in the Park uh, Midsummer Night's Dream at mm. Casaloma. Actually, that oh, was nice. really awesome. Moving through the gardens. Mm. Uh, so, Kevin, we're running a low on time now, but could you please share with our listeners where they can find you uh, online and social media, where they could buy copies of all your wonderful books? Okay, so they could buy the books practically anywhere. They they can go to their own independent bookstores and order them if they're not on the shelf. They're at Amazon, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, basically everywhere. I'm at Twitter at Kevin T. Craig. My website is ktcraig.com. That's about it. Am I forgetting anything? (laughs) (laughs) Those are the most important ones. (laughs) Awesome. Our next guest today is Lucian Childs. Lucian has been a Peter Taylor Fellow at the Kenyan Review Writers Workshop, a winner of the Prism Review Short Story Prize, and a finalist for the Faulkner Wisdom Short Story Award. He has received an Individual Artist Project Award grant from the Rasmussen Foundation and was an artist in residence at Birdcliff Art Colony in Woodstock, New York, and at Artscape Gibraltar Point on the Toronto Islands. Lucian is a co-editor of the Lambda Literary Award finalist, Building Fires in the Snow, a collection of Alaska LGBTQ short fiction and poetry. His short stories have been anthologized and have appeared in the literary journals, Green, Sanskrit, The Puritan, and Quiddity, among others. He will also have an upcoming publication in Prairie Fire. Welcome to the show, Lucian. Hey, how are you doing? Great. How about yourself? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. It's a beautiful day here in Toronto. It's uh, it's summertime outside. Mm -hmm. Finally hit, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it just uh, opened up a little bit. uh, People are eating outside on the sidewalks and you know, it's starting to feel like real life again. <laughs> yes, we waited quite a while. <laughs> yeah, we have. <laughs> have you been out on a patio yet? No, not yet. I'm still, uh, I got my second shot yesterday, so I'm, I'm going to wait for two weeks to yep. I get fully immunized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, uh, I've had my first and I think I can call to book my second next week. Uh, or pull it ahead because the second one is scheduled for the middle of August right now. But right, because you're relatively young. But I think they're really moving things up. Yeah, so... they said they said yesterday or the day before that if you got your first shot before May 9th, um, right? And I got mine on like May sixth. So mm-hmm. you can book on the provincial uh, website. They I, I saw that too. Now, yeah. So I'm excited yeah. for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was after May 6th. Like I, I just got mine, what, about two weeks ago. 
Oh. Yeah. Yes. My second one is scheduled for September, and I'm sure it'll move up. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <that's> <laughs> <laughs> well, we can still gather in small groups even with that out that second shot. So <laughs> all is not lost. Exactly. That's true. I like your positive attitude. <laughs> <laughs> A solution before we get to know you a little bit better, we were hoping that maybe you could give us a short reading from one of your stories. I'd love to. Awesome. So I've been working on novella for the last, uh, oh gosh, going on a year now. Uh, it started as a, link, a short story collection and then it progressed to a link short story collection and now it's a novella. So, uh, um, uh, so this is where we're introduced to the, uh, he's not the POV character because each story has its own um, POV um, narrator. So, but he's the person around which all the, all the narrative revolves. And um, so his name is Kyle Mullins. And these stories are, or many of them take place in Texas. So you will forgive me if I slip into my Texas accent. <laughs> <laughs> when we're told to get pastor williams we so know where to find him on the loading dock behind the ministry with broken pallets and grody 55 gallon barrels there he is hanging out on a white plastic food service bucket since our old faith leader brother price got canned pastor's out here lots his eyes all puffy and red he tells us it's allergies but we know it's not, because we miss Brother Price, too. Our old faith leader was a real strain beam, but with a little paunch he would rub whenever he laughed. A super straight shooter, never wrote us up just because he was on the rag about something. Snuck us chocolates after lights out, called us sunshine, and when he led morning sing, always picked out happy songs. A lot of us have been with men like that. They buy us games for our Ataris. They taste like mouthwash and booze. They blow us in the back seats of their cars and never ever give us their phone numbers. Afraid we'll rat them out to the cops when all we want is to take their broken hearts in our hands. When Pastor Williams catches sight of us, he smiles from his little plastic throne. He's a porker, plump cheeks, a couple of chins, his shirt can't hardly hold him. Ah, he says, the blessed ones. We're all lined up like the corrugated roll-up doors on the opposite loading dock. We boys from upright families, section heads and church choirs, Bible study leaders, next-gen pastors. We were that. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the Lord. A wind, weirdly cold for the beginning of October, smashes into us. We shiver in our thin white dress shirts and khaki pants. The metal door behind us clicks, whistles for a sec, then whooshes open. Brother Mullen walks onto the narrow landing. He's a good-looking boy, though we try not to notice. Tall, broad-shouldered, scrawny, bug-eyed, too, like he's fasting way more than us. His silvery blonde hair curls down past his earlobes. The length is really pushing it, but Pastor says it's okay. 
probably feel sorry for the kid since he's been at the ministry longer than anyone. We think Mullen should be thankful like we are. For scripture says boys like us ought to be stoned to death. That's the number one Bible verse that calls us to be redeemed from the empty way of life. And all, there are five, bullseyed at our iniquities. Brother Mullen scuffles to the front of the loading dock. Yes, brother. Pastor stares over the edge into the pit. Faith leader Bennett asked me to remind you it's time for the meeting. Brother Bennett is our new faith leader, a replacement for Brother Price, as if. Oh, yes. Now the great endeavor begins, Pastor says. Brothers, you remind me of myself as a boy. Like you, I was so excited to be selected for prep school. I mean, you're about to attend Heartland Christian Academy, y'all. The finest parochial school in all Texas. And the best part, they really want you. Some of y'all come from places that don't. I witness how you suffer and are put upon. I suffer too. Y'all know that. But through our trials, we are brought closer to Christ, and there we see everything anew. He points to the trash blowing in circles below the dock, paper sacks, plastic tops with their straws sticking out like little sails that lost their boats. Brother Mullen, you see that now, don't you? The scrawny blonde boy peers over the edge, lining the shoes of his shiny patent leathers on its metal lip. Yes, Pastor, they are being moved by his unseen hand. Another whistling whoosh, our new faith leader, Brother Bennett's in the doorway, his skin pale as the pages of the Bible strapped to his hip. On a chain around his neck is the cross he welded together out of pipe fittings. Pastor, brothers, he says, if you all would honor us with your presence. He stands aside, motioning down the hallway behind him with one hand, his other throttling the heck out of his pipe cross like he's trying to snap its freaking neck. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope that wasn't too uh, disturbing. It's, it, it, it is a disturbing fact and it still happens in the united states uh uh they they're basically at a reparative therapy uh um place you know the, where they've been sent by their parents uh no I, that's this is subject matter that happens and yes it's disturbing but that's exactly why we need to talk about it right right but not to fear many of the story it, this story and many of the stories uh, in this novella are quite funny. So uh, <laughs> the dour is mitigated by the by the levity. And I have to say, you were right. Your Texas accent did come out a little bit. Thoroughly. And... <laughs> <laughs> it was it was an awesome reading and uh, definitely definitely on point subject matter um, for sure. And Thank I you. think that that does still happen up in Canada here too. I believe so. Oh, it does. Yeah, I, think, I read I think, this at a class one time, and uh, and they thought it was science fiction. Really? No. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, actually, I think Parliament was just having a vote, or is planning a vote on banning it. So. It's, oh. Yeah. 
seems a little late, but it's officially being banned then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how you got into writing? Did you always know you were going to make a career out of writing or? I'm always a little bit jealous, you know, when you hear these people that where they started writing when they were three, you know, and first they wrote their first story when they were six, uh, short story when they were six. No, I wasn't that way. I, I came to it from reading. Um, I was, you know, as many gay boys are when they're growing up they're the kind of lonely outsiders and uh i spent a lot of time in my room reading and also went to a school where we had a massive reading load as well so uh, uh in some ways i think um you know writing is an act of emulation you know you you read and a lot and then after a while you start thinking well you know maybe i could do this and then after a while, the words start coming and you, you know, better write them down and see what happens. And uh, so I think it really uh, came out of reading. And I, I did some writing in my 20s, but I kind of set it aside. I didn't, I got busy with life and career. And so it didn't kind of rejuvenate until about 2005 and I started writing in earnest and going to workshops and gaining tools that would help me figure out how to begin. Awesome. Uh, and if I heard your bio correctly, so you were an author, uh, sorry, you were an artist as well as a writer? I made my living as a graphic designer for 25 years in Alaska. So I'm an American and Infiltrating so our ranks here. I am. There's a lot of us here. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, do you find any like crossovers between your writing and your artistic work? Or, you know, I think any kind of art form is a matter of accretion, right? And so, when you're designing something, you're kind of laying elements down one thing at a time and building them up, and uh, uh, and then, of course, you hope for the fortuitous accident uh, where you intended to do one thing and something happened and it turned out some different way. And uh, and you go, wow, this is better. And I think that happens in writing a lot, too. You, you're you laying one sentence down and, uh, and you think you're going in one direction and then all of a sudden you're blindsided by something the character said and you just have to, you know, let your plan go and pay attention to my first teacher, Nancy Zafras, she used to say, follow the sentences to a place that you don't know. And I think that's very true. Yeah. So do you do any sort of like uh, overarching plot plan before you start or you do you just? I find that, of course, now i been working on these stories for so long but I, I find now that i i've had to write several new stories that would kind of fit into the larger schema that we have for the novella and um i find that no you know you just really need to know your characters and you need to know what they want and what they're wrestling with and i have kind of a whole kind of larger timeline of what these people are going through. And so I think if you uh, 
Alice Monroe said that one time that she just needs to know everything about her characters before she begins. And then you don't, at least for short fiction, you don't really need a plan so much. You just follow those sentences and, and organically and see where they take you. It, it might be different for a novel. I don't know when it's a larger, longer piece. Awesome. I don't, I don't know if it's much different. Um, I started out with a, a little bit of a plan and then I followed the characters and went somewhere completely different, but I think I'll still wind up back there at some point. <laughs> I sometimes have a kind of a, you know, I, I know I'm driving to some place emotionally, you know, and sometimes I actually stop before I get there. You know, I find out the ending I thought was the ending wasn't the ending. But that's one of the joys of writing. I think that uh, it's coming out of your subconscious. You know, you're constantly being surprised. Yeah, for sure. I, and, I, and I know I'm kind of stealing all the questions from Brandy here. So sorry, Brandy. Um, <laughs> No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, also kind of wondering what what do you do to stay inspired? Well, I'm working on this project. I'm working with an editor on it, and I have uh, I've got a very heavy workload. So uh, I find that your writing schedule and your you, know, you just have a certain number of pages that you have to produce every day, and that helps you be inspired. The stories also inspire you. I don't know how you guys feel, but there's a special joy that you feel uh, when the story you feel is going well. And, you know, you really start to need that, you know, in your life. And of course, then you might set the story aside and you read it later and you, you realize that it was horrible, you know? So it's a kind of a yo-yo never happens. <laughs> Yeah, right. You think it's good, then you think it's terrible, then you think it's good, you go back and forth, you know. So workload, schedule, the characters, life, you know, life, because we're always trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And for those of us who write fiction, we, we use that process of crafting other people's stories to kind of shine light on our own. An awesome right. way of putting it. Yeah. And just going back to what you said about, you know, the writing process, I know there's sometimes that moment when you feel like you're kind of missing something, you're writing along and, and you're going, something's not quite right. But then at some point it clicks and, right. and it's moment, you know, it's like you bit into the best piece of cheesecake you've ever had. <laughs> right. Just all clicks. So. <laughs> It doesn't last, of course, but you know, yeah. it sure is nice when it when it's happening. <laughs> yeah, and then, like you say, you go back and read it and go, "Oh no, it work at all." But <laughs> you still and I, I think a certain level of obsession is also needed, right? Because people read these stories and they go, "Oh my gosh, it's so great," or maybe they don't. But if they do, I mean, they don't realize that you might have worked ten years on the thing and it went through like fifty drafts and. So in order to keep working on these things over and over and over for a long period of time, I think that's where that joy comes in, you know, that it's obsession, but it's also paired to that special joy that you have when you're discovering something new about the, the story or the characters that you didn't know before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
you said earlier when you started to get into the writing process, you would attend workshops and things like that, which I'm sure is something you still do. Um, and I know you were in the Canadian Authors Toronto Writing Circle at one point. Yep. Yeah. Um, we've talked about writing circles much on this show. So could you tell us a little bit about that process, what it's like? Well, I think they're absolutely necessary for a whole lot of reasons. One is that you really need to let yourself be exposed to criticism. And uh, and by criticism, I don't mean negative. I just mean people who know about writing or at least are struggling with writing themselves, you know, to comment on your work. And I feel that you only take away maybe 10% of what people tell you, or often what happens in a critique group is, is they will accurately identify the problem place, but their solutions are off the mark. So it's, it's good to have readers' feedback. And the other thing that's so important and has been so important to me is, uh, is community. It's a lonely endeavor. You know, we're here in our, at our desk by ourselves and, um, it's really, really important to feel the presence of your fellow writers. And that's why I would schlep down to Bathurst and, um, and Bloor on those cold winter nights and attend the, uh, the writers group that Lee runs. And, and I hope to be back. But we had an incredible organization in Alaska, 49 writers and an amazing community up there. And I, I, I kind of miss that. In Canada, CAA is providing a, a bit of that for me here through the uh, critique group, but I've also attended one of the more like a social evening online. And so very, very important, I think. Yeah, we're, we're trying to have more of them just to bring us closer. Right. Yeah, you, you hit on something too, right? When you're talking about critique and how they may not always get the answers right, but they highlight where there's a problem in the writing, right? Right. That we might have missed. Exactly. I mean, it can be frustrating because you get like, you know, 10 people in the critique group, you can get 10 different takes on the same issue. And, uh, uh, and it can be a little bit debilitating really uh, sometimes, but I think you just have to, you know, push through that and ultimately follow your own instincts about, about how the story should go, but it's good to be influenced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Necessary. You know? Mm -hmm. No, I know what you mean. It's the 10 eyewitnesses will give you 10 different accounts. Of right. That, right? So, right. But it's still good to get, um, like you said, not negative comments, but more of a constructive feedback, sort of. Right. Um, so before we had you come on here, we spoke with Kevin Craig about his writing, and we had gotten into a conversation about LGBTQ plus representation. So, so we'd really like to talk to you about that. And uh, I'm wondering, like, when you write fiction, with LGBTQ characters, do you encounter pushback within the publishing industry? Well, you know, I have been living in this rarefied world of, the, of uh, literary journals. So I have been largely to date sheltered from the publishing industry. <laughs> and I was uh, in, in the world of literary journals, no. And I have not actually submitted to, there are a few gay journals, including a very good Canadian one called Plentitude. 
and uh, so I've been published in you know non-gay literary journals, and certainly have gotten no pushback uh, at at all. Uh, I don't know what it'd be like if you were trying to sell a book, you know. But my stories are there are certainly LGBTQ people in them, but there are other also mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and employers and I mean because queer people live inside of a large world and um, issues of uh, sexuality and and identity are uh, not so in the forefront anymore. We're not, we don't really struggle as much with who we are as a gay person. We may struggle with how do we get through the day and uh, um, with the particular set of character traits that we have, you know, our strengths and our weaknesses. But I think it's so important to see yourself on the page or on the screen. Lately, I've been watching a lot of gay films, you know, just simply because there's a special kind of spark that goes on inside you when you see something that is similar to your own experience in art. And uh, it's affirming that, that, that mirroring. Also, I think, you know, uh, in terms of, if you were thinking about LGBTQ representation in my own work, you know, I think that to really represent uh, the world, you know, the, in the narrative, you've got to be able to crawl up inside of it. And it's just easier to do that if it's somewhat coming from a place you know. Although I write from a really wide variety of ages and genders and points of view, I, it, it, it is somewhat filtered through a queer sensibility. Yeah. We've also been watching quite a lot of gay films lately, and I've, I've found quite a lot of uh, German ones actually are really, really good. Yeah. Fortunately, the non, I don't know about Canadian ones, but the American ones tend to be not so great, but I'm sure there are many exceptions to that. But I just watched a great Chilean one last night called The Strong Ones. Just terrific, you know. And there's so much now, which we're living in a great time now, because not only for LGBTQ people, but also for people of color. And it, it's this great sort of world that's being revealed to us, you know, through through art and storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you, were you an editor for the Building Fires in the Snow? So that was an anthology that uh, Martha Amor and I did that the University of Alaska Press uh, published in 2016. And um, we pulled together a lot of writers that we knew and poets that were either living in Alaska or had a deep relationship with Alaska. And that was a fantastic experience to work with her and to edit that journal and to represent a different kind of Alaska than most people think about. And most of the writing that's going on up there is memoir and writing about nature and and rightly so. It is unbelievably spectacular and wilderness is right in your backyard. So how could you not write about it? But the experience of urban Alaskans has been largely neglected. So we were happy uh, and excited to bring that perspective to the front. Because I always say, you know, uh, drinking a cosmopolitan on, on a, a deck in a fine Alaskan afternoon is also an Alaskan activity. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've never heard, uh, I've never had someone make me want to go to Alaska before, but just talking to you actually kind of makes me want to. So. It is like an extraordinary people. and unique place. And Anchorage is a wonderful town. It's a, you know, got it's incredible art scene going on there, restaurant scene, world-class museum. It's, it's a really, really special place. Well, Lucian, we're so glad you could be here today and you're so personable. We could just keep talking to you all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we will go ahead and wrap things up yes. and yeah. come back another time. We've had a great time chatting with you. That would be um, great. <laughs> before we go, uh, can you share with our listeners where they can find you online, social media, um, all that good stuff? I am absolutely terrible at this, but you can find me at Twitter at Lucian Childs. Building Fires in the Snow has a website and you can find out a little bit about me and the contributors there. So that's all I have right now. I'm, you know, it's on my list to do a website and I'm trying to build my platform, but it's not something I really enjoy and uh, it's getting a little bit of a backseat. Oh, and it's writing. so time consuming. Yes. There's so many platforms out there. Like I, I feel yeah. like my day trying to sort through all that stuff. So I don't exactly. blame you. <laughs> yeah. I will get to it after we put this manuscript to bed. I hope to have a little bit more time to do stuff like that. Help us give a warm reception to our last guest of the day, Michelle Doyle. Michelle is a writer, wellness speaker, yoga teacher, and stand-up comedian in Toronto. She has studied creative writing at University of Toronto's School of Continuing Studies and Humber College's School for Writers. A passionate activist and longtime volunteer with Amnesty International, she was one of 49 artists whose work appeared in Quarente y Nueva, a 2018 book commemorating the 49 lives lost at Orlando's Pulse nightclub. Her story, The Intensive, was longlisted for the 2020 CBC Nonfiction Prize. She is currently an MFA candidate in creative nonfiction at University of King's College and Dalhousie University. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for being here. We're so glad you could join us. Um, we will get into a discussion about you and your work very shortly. But first, do you have a reading to share with us today? Sure. Um, speaking of Quarantine Nueve, um, can't believe it's already been five years since the Pulse nightclub shooting. And um, I thought how appropriate, given uh, this episode and it being Pride Month, to share the piece that was actually uh, in that book. So are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. I'm very Bye. excited to hear about it. Mm -hmm. In my 20s, I was the opposite of out and proud. I despised the feelings I had, largely because of the values religion had injected into me during my formative years. As a lonely child who was bullied at school, home was my refuge petrified to lose my small and loving family. 
I had to be someone who made them proud, even if it meant suppressing who I really was. My first relationship with a woman was kept secret, though I managed to work up enough courage to tell my mother. Her reaction was not what I had hoped for. Although I was hurt, I didn't fully blame her. When a person's raised with such firm ground rules as to what constitutes as acceptable love in the eyes of God, any deviance increases the probability of their community or family rejecting them. And my mother was no exception. As I yearned for acceptance myself, I couldn't hold that against her. In my early 30s, I met someone I wanted to begin a relationship with. For the sake of my sanity and in fairness to her, I decided to finally live in love outside of the closet. I had to face my fear and come out to the rest of my family, even if it meant rejection. My Aunt Marie, the youngest and most conservative of my mom's sisters, was the rock of our family. She hosted all the holiday dinners and made a cake for every birthday. She kept a lovely home that had a framed picture of Pope John Paul II in the hallway. His kind smile masked his institution's judgment and shame walled me every time I walked past him. I was fearful of revealing my true self to my aunt, given her traditional family values. And I didn't have the guts to come out to her myself, so I asked my teenage cousin to do it for me. My life changed when my aunt called me into the room and looked at me with an expression I had never before seen, or rather, an expression I'd never put myself in a position to receive, the gift of complete acceptance and love. Michelle, you and whoever you're with will always be welcome in this house, whoever, and don't worry about your mother, she'll come around. Unrestrained tears flowed that night. I cried because I was accepted. I cried because I wasn't an embarrassment. I cried because for the first time in my life, I wasn't pretending to be someone I wasn't, and yet I was loved anyway. With a member of my family willing to go to bat for me, a new energy exuded. That act of acceptance gave me confidence to make the changes I needed to be more happy and at home in my own skin. I thought about that day on June 12, 2016. That night, Brenda Lee Marquez McCool went dancing with her son Isaiah at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando. How wonderful to be so young, dancing without inhibition, with your beautiful mother celebrating you. Maybe his church or other family members didn't approve, but his mother chose love over fear. Just like my aunt's acceptance allowed me to thrive, Brenda's acceptance of her son was the ultimate display of unconditional love, which she cemented that night when she saved his life. Like Isaiah's mom, Brenda, and my Aunt Marie, may you always choose love over fear. May we always find the courage to stand up for who we love, even if it goes against what our religion and family taught us. May the 49 lives lost at Pulse remind us that if we have the courage to stand up to ignorance, ultimately, love can surge so powerfully that no level of ignorance or act of hatred will stop it. That is a very beautiful and tragic story, Michelle. Thank you. I wrote it. I remember that was, it was that night after hearing it, I was just, I immediately thought of my Aunt Marie, who has passed away, actually. So there was that recognition of an act of love from a person who had just passed. And so I wrote that very impulsively. And I hope that at least that was captured. So... 
take from it what you will. Isn't that, the, that, I think that's the beauty of writing is I know how I felt when I wrote it, but how you hear it or the message you derive, you know, you, Chris, you, Brandy, whoever's listening is totally up to the reader. And that's one of the things I absolutely love about the magic of writing. And reading. Yes, absolutely. Um, I felt that piece was so powerful. I could feel your emotion through that. Um, I almost cried both from joy when you said uh, that you're, you know, the acceptance you felt. And then of course, from sadness when you were talking about the tragedy of, of Pulse nightclub. So I think the, the powerful emotions you were feeling when you wrote it really came through. Absolutely. Um, and I, I love it because suppressing who you really are is something that so many people around the world still have to do, um, still are doing, right? And it's, it's so sad that in 2021, we're still dealing with that. I'm glad it's opening up, but, and I also love that sometimes it's, it's the people we least expect to be welcoming who surprised us the most. Exactly. And I think that was in my experience out of everyone in my family, my aunt Marie was the last person I thought would have a good reaction, you know, and If anything, I, I, you know, when I look back at it now, this was 15 years ago since that conversation. And I think how I did that, that worrying, you know, all that wasted energy that was all in, in my own head. But again, I think, unfortunately, when you do grow up in a particular environment or there's shame induced in your sexuality or that you have to keep that secret for whatever reason, it's being honest that depending on the culture, the religion, the family dynamic, like it doesn't, there's no right or wrong reason. It just is. And coming to terms with that is an individual process. Some people, like when I see these young kids who are, you know, 20, 21, and they're so out and proud and their parents and are so supportive. I'm like, you know, I like even watching uh, the movie, the prawn on Netflix, I got, emotional because I'm like, how different would my life have been if I had seen that movie when I was 16 years old? I have absolutely no doubt I, my life would have been very different. Representation in media is so important, right? I was lucky enough to have a mom who joined me for many parties at Cruise and Tango's and all over. So that was awesome. But it took... You know, it was probably four or so years of me living in fear of how she would react before I actually came out. So, you know. And it's their process as well. And I think that's that's the thing is it's it's coming out is not a definitive act. I think it's constantly happening in different ways. And just as, you know, we go through our own process, our family and friends, you know, usually do as well, but you're very, your mom sounds very cool. Next time you guys are going dancing at Cruise and Tangos. We're all going. That's it. Well, I'm telling you, we'll have a circle, put our purses in the middle and dance to uh, don't leave me this way. And we'll all be happy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That sounds fabulous. (laughs) Um, So I just want to switch gears for half a second. I was reading on your website that you had a growing corporate career, but realized the life you had created wasn't working for you anymore. And that something had to change. 
So you took a little trip to India with some blank journals and some pens. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that journey and how it helped to shape you into who you are today. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that's, I actually wrote about it. It was, a, that was the manuscript that I wrote. And actually the intensive is the first scene from the full work. So yes, I did have a growing corporate career and it was pretty awesome to get to that point where it's like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. And I've, you know, I've, I've reached my goals for lack of a better way to put it. And then getting there and realizing this is not me, like, you know, I'm not enjoying it. And there was this, um, you know, and in being candid, the, I was very, I was closeted at work. You know, I had the, like, I kind of created this who I thought Michelle Doyle should be, right? And she was also straight, I should add that. But when I started to figure it out was, it started with a panic attack. And it was one of those things that my, like subconsciously I was being told, you are not living authentically. Like this is not you. Now at the same time, I don't, I know the way it may read on the website. It's not like I just said, okay, well, I'm just gonna take a backpack and to heck with everything, I'm gonna to go to India and explore. No, 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 it was nothing like that. I had this moment uh, where everything in life, you know, and if, some, if, some, if, if anything can go wrong, it, go, it goes wrong, right? So anything that could have went wrong, went wrong in the sense that there was a personal relationship. I had met someone and they're coming into my life. It pretty much quashed my goals of being straight for lack of a better word. <laughs> the burden of holding that in of, you know, pretty much living a double life of this is who I am versus this is who I think I should be. And just not feeling fulfilled and kind of seeing how my life was going to go. It's like, okay, this is not going to turn out well. And I needed to go somewhere where what I did didn't matter. What it said on my business card meant absolutely nothing to anybody. And so India was a place I'd wanted to see since I was a teenager. Why? I, I can't, couldn't tell you. It was just a place I had always been fascinated by. And so I went and that was the first time I could really just disassociate with my life here and just be, okay, I'm free from the titles. I'm free from the reputations. I'm free from any expectations for myself or anyone else. And it was just kind of a period of processing of what is the point? Why am I doing this? And it wasn't a quick discovery of, oh, okay, I found myself. I'm going to go home and make all these changes. No. But when I did come back, there was a different sense of awareness of, okay, clearly something's not working and you have to change something because nothing will change if something doesn't change. And so sitting down and meditating and learning how to sit with my thoughts instead of trying to run away with them did make a difference. It's different for everybody, of course, but Silence, it's amazing how loud a mind can be when there's just silence. Mm. And it's not running away from it. It's not filling it with conversation or filling it with a TV show or even music. It's like, okay, when I can sit with that, it was like, okay, how do I really feel? 
And what I often say that trip was, I think, really the birth of writing for me in, in a large way, because I went through those journals, like, well, obviously, people listening can't hear this. Let me, re- let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> I filled up my journals very quickly and ended up buying more. That was when I really noticed that with writing, how I really think comes out on a written page a lot more clearly mm-hmm. and succinctly than it, than it is swimming around in my brain or even coming out of my mouth. There was something about when I wrote it down, I understood exactly what was going on. And I could look at it and say, oh, okay, so that's how I feel. Oh, interesting. I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think a lot of writers can really relate to, um, I mean, we don't all do this, but writing can really be a catharsis for things, right? Uh, it's sitting in your head and it's just there bugging you. And sometimes you, you can't say it out loud to someone else. You don't have that, that person to talk to. But if you can write it down, at least it's not just sitting in your head, right? Well, it's even, you know, and given we're talking, you know, given that, with Pride Month and being honest, just in case anyone can relate to this. I remember when I was younger and, you know, very secretive about so many things, but needing that outlet. And what I would do was write furiously, you know, I would jot it all down, say all the things I thought and felt that I wasn't supposed to think and feel. And then I'd read it over and then I would tear it up and go to the garbage chute in our apartment building and throw it down the chute. But I would make sure it was like practically like confetti, right? Right. And I look back at that now and it's true, isn't that writing is like that listening ear. It's that opportunity to to get the words out and okay, I've got it out of my, I've gotten, I've got it out of my system, right? Yeah, you've released it to the universe is what you've done. Mm -hmm. But it's again, when you can't scream, when you can't yell, when you can't be with the person you're in love with, you know, when you can't be in a place where you want to be, you can always get there on a page. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, you you kind of mentioned, this is a little off topic, but um, you, you mentioned that the intensive was the beginning of a book, right? Yes, it was the opening scene of the memoir that I wrote. Is that already written? Is it, you haven't published it yet, I don't believe. No, it's not published, uh, but the manuscript is done and it'll be published at some point, right? I often think it's almost like uh, when the time is right, it will happen, but it is written. And yeah, that is the opening scene. That is the opening scene. And part of it can be seen on the, on the website, but if you want to know what happens, you're going to have to wait for the book <laughs> to come out. You gotta wait. Oh, well, we're still recording, I think. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes Chris has some wireless internet issues. So I think okay. that happened there. As Blanche would say, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I'm terrible with impressions, so I shouldn't even try. Hey, you know what? Have fun with it. Who cares? You're always going to be, you know what? Someone will always think it's great. There'll always be someone who thinks it's terrible, and there'll be someone who thinks it's fabulous. Hey, there he is. But you know what, Brandy, like, honestly, we're writers. It doesn't matter. It's okay. You know, (laughs) you need to put that energy. It's like, I don't have the energy to wash my hair. I'm just going to put it into my work. 
it into the page. You're right. Hi, Chris. Sir Goldman is back. Hello. Sir Goldman doth return. <laughs> he does. Imagine I talked like that through the whole thing. Oh boy, that would be. <laughs> Comments would be interesting. <laughs> what? Be awesome. Who's, that, who's that lunatic you guys had on your show? <laughs> All right. You know what? It, like it's, it sounds funny, but it was such a change because pretty much COVID yoga classes i don't you know wellness speaking five months of bookings done because offices have shut down so my life went from constantly being in front of a group to nothing yeah but you know what i get i have this wonderful audience of two and a glass of gin oh that's a great line you know what let's record an album yeah <laughs> you Two and a glass of gin. <laughs> a good time. All right. Sorry, I'm getting off track. I'll bring it back. Well, you got super excited to ask I... a question about the intensive and you blew up my internet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It was my excitement, right? Yeah, I think I said something. Apparently, right. sorry. <laughs> oh, you know what? Hey, put us Again, on. You ready? Did people. For the rest of your life, we can always, anytime anything happens, you just say, oh, I'm an artist, sorry. I'm an artist, <laughs> sorry. It just happens. Does that the work? internet cut out? I'm an artist, sorry. It just happens sometimes. I can't remember? That's okay, I'm an artist. I can't help it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm gonna start using that, although I don't know if it'll really work on my uh, family, but there. it's worth it. A for effort, sister, A for effort. Okay, I think um, I was, uh, you mentioned the intensive was uh, the start of your book, your memoir. So we're wondering that uh, that hasn't been published yet, I don't think. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the book itself? Yeah, the intensive is the beginning of the book, the first scene. Uh, and pretty much that's what it was meeting. It's funny how a person can come into your life and serve as a catalyst for an entire restructuring. I often think of it a good example of if someone's to say, what is your book about? Okay, you know how when there's a really old decrepit building, but it's been there for so long and it's managed to stand up even though it's very much under code and slowly it starts to fall apart. You just have to take some dynamite and blow the whole thing up so you can rebuild. And the intensive is that story. Only wow. that building was my entire life. <laughs> so it meant, like it meant everything kind of falling apart so it could rebuild. And I know that may sound some sound a bit cliche in, in some regard of, oh, you know, the phoenix rising from the ashes. No, it was nothing like that. It's just, it's a practical story of how everything in life eventually comes to a point where we have to see the reality and the lesson of it. And if we avoid certain lessons or avoid certain conversations or dealing with things, Eventually, it's going to manifest in some other way in your life. But for me, it all happened at once. And so that pretty much led for me to take that, you know, take a month off. And I was very, very fortunate that I had an understanding boss who, you know, allowed me to take that one month without it coming at a cost to my job. And I said, I just need to go 
And he was like, okay, you go. And I don't take that opportunity for granted, but it was that month away from every role that I possessed in my life to really take a look at who I really was and yeah, and what it led to. Perfect. Well, I, I hope that uh, your book gets published soon so we can find out what else happened in your fascinating life. Oh, I thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, you know, I will. It's unbelievable how much one month can change an entire life. Right. And the willingness to be honest with yourself and deciding that, you know, things that the only person can, who can create a change in your life is you. Uh, so, Michelle, with our first two guests today, we talked about the importance of LGBTQ plus individuals seeing themselves represented in fiction. Uh, so we're wondering, how do you think this representation fits into nonfiction work? Personal truth is something that is incredibly private, but yet when you, I, I remember reading the first book that comes to, to mind for me is Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of a fiction book. And the way she described feelings, that a woman could have feelings for another woman, the comfort that that gave me reading a fictitious story about, a Victoria, about the Victorian era of all things was an inspiration to me to just be truthful because realistically what I put on the page is what I put on the page. What I choose to share is my decision. But there's something about seeing yourself in another story, which I think as our kind of our duty as writers is to just be as truth, especially in nonfiction. It's like, if it's, a reader can sense when someone is either trying too hard or being disingenuous, right? And so I think it's almost like, a res not a responsibility, but we know what it's like to feel isolated. At least I, I, can't, I can't speak for my entire community, but I, you know, as someone who lived many, many years in shame over my, how I felt, I think there's something comforting and empowering about using your words to normalize those feelings. At least that that's how I see it as not just a writer, but I'm using my own feelings as a reader. Okay. So going back to, um, we talked before about your work appearing in Renta y Nueve. And so we just wanted to know a little bit more um, about how it was to work on that project. That seems like a very important, um, you know, possibly intense sort of project to work on. So if you could tell us just a little bit about that. Well, the uh, person who put it together is a, an author. Her name is Joey Lamar. And she, you know, being, uh, She's a Boricua, as she would say, Boricua Joe. She really, uh, you know, she had been to Pulse Nightclub and she knew, she knew the, some of these people. And it, for her, it was a huge labor of love to put this together. You know, she grew up in New York and, you know, like, anyway. So Joey grew up in New York and 
is a huge part of the Latino community, right? And knew some of the people, unfortunately, who were taken. I don't want to say who were lost because they weren't lost, they were taken um, at Pulse. And so she, this, she put this together of, you know, let's do a tribute and the proceeds went to um, LGBT charities, including GLAD um, and Pride Atlanta. And uh, yeah, so it was, it, it was an, I would say an interdisciplinary approach. It was, uh, you know, there were writers, there were photographers, there were painters, but basically it was 49 artists honoring the lives lost through their specific medium. And for me, it was writing. So it was, uh, I was honored. I, I still say it was one of the, you know, it, it was and is one of the biggest privileges of my life. And especially as a writer to be part of that. Because especially I think of the families that are left behind, mm -hmm. the friends, you know, we're talking about a number that's much, much higher than 49. And to have this, you know, book that's like a coffee table style, like beautiful pictures, and to have that as a tribute truly does encapsulate what a labor of love is. And Joey put this all together herself. So that was pretty awesome. It sounds awesome. And I'm going to go look it up after we finish here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Michelle, as amazing as this has been, uh, would you be able to share with our listeners where they can find you online and social media, wherever you're active? I would love to, yeah. I'm on social media, on Instagram, at michelledoyle.ca, which is my web, my website is www.michelledoyle.ca. My Instagram handle, at michelledoyle.ca. You can connect with me on Twitter at I'm Michelle Doyle and on Facebook, Michelle Doyle Canada. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Brandy and Chris for having me. This is awesome. And thank you for all the amazing things that the Canadian Authors Association does for writers and for readers because we need we need to read we need words <laughs> absolutely yeah oh it was so fun to have you on thank you so much michelle thank you Michelle. Absolutely, Brandy. Uh, Michelle was just a blast, and Kevin and Lucian are amazing um, representatives of the LGBTQ author community. Um, and I think, like for myself, for sure, I think it's it's so important that people of every sexuality orientation. Uh, race, everything, see themselves represented 
right? Because it's only that way that they get to feel comfortable uh, with who they are. And it helps them really to fight the uh, bullying, the mm -hmm. uh, not even the the aggressive bullying, but even the the subtle people who just aren't thinking, you know, that they're any different. The microaggression sort of bullying. Yeah, not not intentional. Yeah, sometimes that can be worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think the way I think you're absolutely right, the way to kind of help get rid of those types of attitudes, even, you know, what we'll, what we'll say are accidental attitudes. I think the way to get rid of, of that kind of thing is to have more representation. So more people just see that everybody is who they are. Different is normal. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be you don't have to be scared of someone because they're different from who you are. And I think representation in literature, in uh, television, movies, any type of medium uh, is what helps drive that. I hope I For put sure. that well. <laughs> no, I think you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> uh, so Brandy, it is now time to share news from our members. First up, Maya Svivak has published her first novel, a dark romance called Svevi Avatar, Persecution of Constantina. Big congratulations to Maya on her first book. Yes, congratulations, Maya. Uh, Maya is fairly new to Canadian Authors Association, and we are so happy her debut novel is out now. Next up, we have a familiar name with not one, but two new awards. Guglielmo Dizia is pleased to announce that his debut novel, The Transaction, has won the 2021 Ippy Awards Silver Medal in the Europe Best Regional Fiction category, and has also won the Crime Writers of Canada Awards of Excellence Best Crime First Fiction. Wow, two new awards. So great for Guglielmo. And last but never least, Patrick Connor's first full poetry collection, The Other Life, published by Mosaic Press, is now available at the Indigo Bookstore at Bay and Bloor, as well as many online platforms. Ah, uh, that's great news, Pat. Can't wait to pick up my own copy. Uh, such great things are happening for our members right now, and we always love to hear that. But it is just about time to call it a day. So before we go, Remember our dear listeners to stay tuned to Canadian Author Toronto's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for our fantastic book giveaways. As we announced last month, our 1000 podcast downloads celebration contest is live all month long. So like and share the contest posts to get your name entered in the draw for a signed book copy. There is a new draw and a different featured author every few days. So if you've already taken part and not won yet, don't give up. There is still plenty of time. That's right, Brandy. And we've already had four lucky winners with a fifth one being announced tomorrow. Super oh, exciting. So I get to draw another name from the hat tomorrow. Yep, your lucky hat comes out. <laughs> yes. There's also still time to have your book cover included in the Centennial Puzzle. So subscribe to the membership book catalog before June 30th to take advantage of this awesome promotion. 
And so ends our 14th episode of Words with Writers podcast. Thank you for being with us this month. And we will return with a new episode on Saturday, July 24th. Thanks for listening. And happy Pride, everyone. Oh, happy Pride, everyone. Bye-bye.